You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. In just a couple weeks, we'll be launching Christian Civics Foundations, our new 101-level course. If you're considering signing up for that course, I can't encourage you to do it strongly enough. The last few years have been frustrating and exhausting for almost everyone who cares about government and civic life. This course can help refresh the way you think about faith and politics. It can help you find ways to get involved, to help make things better and healthier, without giving in to anger, frustration, hatred, or cynicism. You'll leave this course feeling more hopeful than you went in. You'll leave it understanding other people better. And you'll leave it feeling like you have more options. I'm really excited to kick off this new course. And I'm especially excited for the 201 level events that it's going to let us host in the future. On the podcast this week, though, I want to just take a few minutes to define a pretty important term. If you're attending Christian Civics Foundations, then this week's podcast is going to help you better navigate and understand the course. If you're not attending this round of Christian Civics Foundations, then this week's podcast is going to help you be more critical about the kinds of messages we hear from candidates and elected officials and party influencers and other political types. The term I want to define together this week is politics. But first, give me a minute to use a metaphor. In Christian circles, it's pretty common for us to talk about how, in the English language, we use one word for five completely different ideas. Philadelphia and Eros and Agape and Philoxenia and Storge were totally distinct concepts to Greek speakers. So the authors of the New Testament would probably be pretty confused about why English speakers call all five of those concepts the same thing. We call them love. And we all know that the way we use love in English is kind of messy. A lot of sitcoms get a lot of mileage out of how ambiguous the word is. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend had a whole musical number called I Love My Daughter But Not In A Creepy Way, where the joke is that the singer is very clearly trying to articulate agape love, but is also very clearly frustrated that there's no way for him to do that without using the same language he'd use for Eros love. Now, sure, that ambiguity about the word love isn't all bad. It lets us save face sometimes. We've all been teenagers. We know what it's like to have these big emotions and these big insecurities. And so we try to hold the emotions in, but eventually we can't. And we tell one of our friends, I love you. And then they act surprised or maybe scared. And because the word's ambiguous, we get to backtrack and we convince them that we meant Philadelphia instead of Eros. And we say, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Can you imagine? Oh, wow. And they look relieved and maybe they believe us. But now I have to say I love you to them all the time and to a lot of my other friends too, or else they'll catch on and realize that I actually meant I was in love with them. And if they figure that out and I can't convince my parents to send me to a different school immediately, then I don't really know what's going to happen the next time I go back to school. But I know for a fact that it's going to be bad and I'll never, ever recover and people will make fun of me for it for the rest of my life. So, yeah, 
in that one specific case, using one word to mean five different things can be a real lifesaver sometimes. But that's a, that's a really specific exception to the rule. Other than giving us an easy way to save face when we take a really big romantic risk that we really shouldn't have taken, using one word for so many different, so many charged ideas makes figuring out what those ideas actually mean to us really difficult. And the word politics, believe it or not, kind of works the same way. The way we use that word in the U.S. is blurry. It's not really specific. Our guest last week, Dr. Trick, I think would have used the word slippery to describe the way the word politics works in American English. So before we kick off our class, let's try to make the word a little less slippery. Let's take a few minutes to break apart some of the different definitions that we usually keep all bundled together into the word politics. Christian Civics Foundations consists of six sessions, and we're going to deal with all five meanings of the word politics as those sessions go on. But we'll usually only be dealing with one or two of those meanings at a time. So going over them all now can help us avoid confusion in the future. It can help us think a little more clearly and have better conversations, whether those conversations are in our breakout groups in the class or in our small groups in our church or with our friends and family in the rest of our lives. So, what does politics mean? First, there's the most literal definition, the life of the many. When we're talking about the life of the many, we're talking about what we might usually call the public square. The systems, the institutions, the traditions, the rules, and the norms that make up a society. The things that all give shape and order to our relationships to more people than we could ever actually meet. The things we share with people we might not ever actually know. When we're talking about the life of the many in the U.S., we sometimes say civic life, or we use that metaphor I used a few sentences ago, the public square. The next thing we might mean when we say politics is government. Government is a specific set of institutions within the public square that have the authority to make and enforce rules and regulations. Government is one of the institutions that are actually specifically ordained by God in Scripture, commissioned by God for humans to create, use, and maintain for the sake of the common good and human flourishing. And the Bible does tell us that government is an institution that will continue to exist when the kingdom comes in full. Jesus will bear the government on his shoulders, according to Isaiah. But, crucially, the Bible doesn't necessarily endorse a specific style of government for humans to use between the fall and the resurrection. During the first week of Christian Civics Foundations, we'll look in a little bit more depth at what government meant to people in Egypt before the Exodus what it meant to people in Israel after the period of the judges, what it meant to Israelites living under Babylonian and Persian rule, and what it meant to Jews and Christians in the middle of first century Rome. By looking at those biblical era examples of government and comparing and contrasting them to how modern government works in the U.S., we'll be able to start building a more nuanced and more constructive approach to faith in the public square. So. Politics might mean the public square in general. 
It might mean government in particular. Third, sometimes when we say politics, we're talking about public policy and the process of policy development. Public policies are the specific rules and regulations that governments create and enforce. In the U.S., different kinds of policies are developed through different processes. But most of the processes we use to develop public policy try to strike some kind of balance between allowing elected officials to exercise wisdom and discretion on one hand, and making sure that members of the public have the opportunity to scrutinize and weigh in on the policies before they're actually implemented on the other hand. Policies always have tangible effects on people. But whose voices do we listen to when we're developing policy? Whose experience do we seek out? Whose interests do we consider? Scripture says that these are important questions with moral implications. And the people who give shape to government policies are going to have to account for the way they answer them. Fourth, a lot of times when we say politics, we really mean power dynamics. We're really talking about how do we make decisions when two or more people are trying to make a decision together? Or how do we move forward when two or more people are trying to get something done together? Whose ideas get used? Who takes the lead in making the decision or executing the action? Power dynamics exist anywhere two or more people are trying to relate to one another or solve a problem together or reach a goal together. Power dynamics are what we're really talking about when we talk about office politics. Who in the office gets influence over what actions or what decisions? And lastly, when we say politics in the U.S., a lot of times we're talking about a very specific form of power dynamics. We're talking about partisan competition. Who gets the most influence over policy development? And who gets the most influence over our cultural norms? The U.S. developed a two-party political system after George Washington retired. And for most of the time since then, on the national level, we've generally had two major organized factions of people working in government and talking about government at any given time. These two factions generally compete with each other for favor among the voters and for power over the process of policy development. The parties or the factions kind of change over time, and sometimes a third one pops up for a few years, but it usually will either fall apart or one of the legacy parties will fall apart and the new guy will take its place. A lot of our debates about government in the U.S. and about public policy and about our cultural norms in the public square usually end up getting folded into the competition between whatever our two political factions are at the time. And when we say something is getting political, we actually mean that it's starting to touch on topics that get brought up by one of those parties when they're competing for favor among the voters or trying to convince people to join their team instead of the other one. At the start of Christian Civics Foundations, we're going to focus mostly on the first two definitions of politics, life of the many and government. As we progress through these talks and have conversations together, we'll work our way down the list. And as we do, I'll try to use more specific terms wherever I can. 
But old habits are hard to break, and I'll probably fall back into just saying politics way more often than I actually mean to. But even if you're not taking the class, I hope that you'll make an effort to keep all five of these definitions in mind when you go on social media, when you read the news, when you see a campaign ad, or interact with anything political. When you see an elected official tweeting or giving a public statement, look at the meat of what they're saying. Look at the point they're trying to make and ask yourself, which of these versions of politics are they really engaging in? Are they talking about the life of the many? Are they talking about government? Are they talking about developing specific policy? Are they competing for influence? Are they taking part in partisan competition? Which kind of politics are they engaging in? And which kind of politics do you think they should really be spending their time on right now? If we make an effort to always distinguish between the public square, government, policy development, power dynamics, and partisan competition, we'll probably start to notice how big of a gulf there really is between an elected official's actual job and the kinds of things people usually talk about on campaigns. And it'll be harder to win us over. Not because we're becoming more cynical, but because we'll actually start to care about the job more. Keeping those five different definitions in mind will make it easier for us to salvage conversations with friends or family members that are starting to go south. And it'll probably force us to be a little more careful about the way we talk about issues that are important to us, too. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are King of Kings, you are Lord of Lords. One day, every crown will be set at your feet. Every knee will bow before you. Your people will join your royal parade, and every mouth will sing your praise. The day is coming when your Son will sit on a throne on earth and rule with wisdom and mercy and justice and glory. But until that day comes, you trust us to live our lives as a testament to what you've done for us in the past and what you're preparing to do in the future. You tell us to live our lives not just innocent as a dove, but also wise as a serpent. Too often, we set aside the command to live with that kind of wisdom because it's just so much work. We're more comfortable than we should be treating complicated things as if they were simple or conforming to the patterns of the world because doing anything else just seems exhausting and overwhelming. We know that if we start digging into questions about government and partisanship and civic life, those are big topics and we might never reach the bottom. And we don't want to live obsessive, unbalanced lives. We don't want to ignore everything else you call us to be, just for the sake of being as faithful as we can in this one thing. But we also don't want to stop loving you with all of our minds when the thing on our minds is politics. So please help us. Help us to recognize when problems are more complicated than we want them to be. Help us to not let your church be seen as an easy mark by people who are more interested in amassing power and shoring up votes than they are in living lives of humble faith before your son. And help us to do all of this with hope and endurance in a cynical and tiring world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who will one day bear all government upon his shoulders. 
and bear it justly. Amen. All right, that's it for this week. If you can muster up five stars, then please remember to rate and review our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us again next week for a discussion on the book Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes. Visit our website, christiancivics.org, for a link to that book, for a transcript of this episode, and especially to sign up for Christian Civics Foundations, which launches on October 19th. If you like our podcast at all, then that class is going to be an even better way to learn to think, speak, and act differently in the public square.